Hello there, I'm Pastor John. Thank you for joining us today. There are a lot of ways to engage here at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene, but we truly do thank you for listening here. If you haven't heard, we're also on Spotify now with the same great content. For more information about our church, you can check us out on the web at abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. Please be sure to follow us on Facebook. We're live each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. And you can find us on Instagram as well. Well, this morning, uh, the question I really want to ask each of us is the question, when are you the most comfortable? When are you the most comfortable? Uh, I joked with the first service, many of you would say, not right now. Because <laughs> like growing up, I grew up in the church and I knew that when I, you know, when I came to church, there was my church shoes. And, and church shoes were this like evil plan devised by moms and grandmas to make your foot fit into something that just was never, ever, ever comfortable. I had my Monday through Saturday shoes, but then on Sunday I knew I had to put on my church shoes. And, and then let's church pants. Now, uh, ladies, you had your church address, I know that, but the church pants were like not the comfortable pants during the week. Even my boys now, they know what church pants means. Like, okay, you know, right, right? And I get that, I get that. But think about that for a minute with me. When are you your most comfortable for me for me, without a doubt, it's Friday night because the normal rhythm of our family, and again, we've got four kids, our oldest is 12, our youngest is two, and so our lives are just, like many of your lives, full and loud and fun. And when we get sometimes to the end of the week, when we can on a Friday night, it's just an opportunity for us to rest. And so it's super simple, like simple food that requires no baking or recipe or anything. And we make popcorn, and we just have a family movie night. And the best part of Friday nights for me are two things. I put my phone down. I put that away. I just get to be present with my family. In some ways, kind of forget the cares of the week and know that there's still stuff coming. Uh, But then I get to put on my sweatpants. And so I know that for many of you, you did not know that sweatpants could be spiritual. But I'm here to tell you today, there's something very spiritual about sweatpants on Friday night for me. I mean, it's just resting, and it's beautiful. And the reality is for us, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. In fact, that's a beautiful thing. Whatever your picture is, some of you are sitting by the pool with your feet in it, whatever it is for you, that's beautiful. The challenge for us, though, is when comfort leads to complacency. That's where I believe the gospel has a lot to say to us. And in fact, Jesus came, and Jesus' primary mission was not to make us comfortable, Now think about that for a minute. I I know last week we talked about peace. If you weren't here, go back and listen. God's been teaching me a lot about that. But our mission, our call as believers is not a call to comfort. Now God wants us to have peace. He wants us to experience blessing. He has an incredible plan for our lives. But that's not his overall goal. And certainly Jesus' call is not a call to complacency. In fact, if you read the gospel at all, you'll see that Jesus shows up into a culture into a religious and political landscape that was filled with complacency. It was filled with religion, religious duty, check off the box, uh, go through the motions, that I am more righteous than, and that's kind of the structure that Jesus came into. And the last thing that Jesus uh, wanted for his followers and believers is a lifestyle of complacency. He called his believers to surrender. He called them, if you want to follow after me, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow. Jesus spoke of some suffering along the way, some struggle. And while sometimes in the American church we can make Jesus about somebody that just makes us comfortable, 
that's really not who Jesus came to be. And so over these next couple weeks, we're going to journey into the Word of God, maybe like never before, and the title of this series is called The Uncomfortable Jesus. And Jesus' mission wasn't necessarily to make you uncomfortable, but Jesus came to challenge our mindsets and our attitudes and the things in which we may become complacent in the way in which we live. And so today there's no greater illustration of that than if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This is really the foundational story for our series. Each week we're going to begin to just look at who Jesus was and as we journey through Lent, this is the first Sunday of Lent, and as we journey towards Easter, understand more who Jesus was and why he came and that his mission wasn't our comfort, but he had a much greater mission in mind. And so with that in mind, would you turn now Luke uh, chapter 10, uh, starting with verse 25. Uh, Some of you are opening up your Bible app. We have an event there under our church name that you can look up, and it's got notes and other uh, thoughts for today. Uh, But let's begin reading now verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. This is the word of the Lord for us today. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I want to pause there for a minute. So far, it's a showdown. It's a showdown between Jesus who made the religious leaders extremely uncomfortable. Extremely uncomfortable because they had their act together. They felt like they were righteous and religious and they were the model. But then Jesus shows up talking about being the son of God and he's disrupting their flow. He's messing with, and they're very uncomfortable. And so now as a way of testing Jesus, oh, you say you're the son of God. They ask him a question. And so Jesus turns the question back on them, and correctly they quote the Old Testament in verse 27. All they're doing here is quoting the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant. The promise that Jesus, yeah, love the Lord your God, that God had given him. Love the Lord your God and and love your neighbor as yourself. But then, look at what it says in verse 29. Then he says he wanted to justify himself. Man, that's a really important thing. And something I didn't even point out in the first service is that his motive in asking this next question is because he wants to begin to draw boundary lines in the commandments. Jesus gives a really profound but simple commandment, love God with all and love your neighbor. But then in order to justify himself, in order to justify his opinions and his actions and his heart, he asks Jesus, well then who is my, would you qualify that for me? And in response to that, Jesus goes on to say this in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense 
you will have. Then Jesus turned to the religious leaders, right? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. (laughs) Go and do likewise. I want you to picture the scene for a minute and understand the context of the story. Jesus is talking about a journey, a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, about a 20-mile journey. Jerusalem stands about 2,600 feet above sea level. And Jericho stands about 1,300 feet below sea level. So this is a journey of about 20 miles, but a dip in about 4,000 feet. So you can see this is not a straight and like a great journey through the meadow. With fly. This, is, this is a treacherous 20-mile uh, through the mountains, across bending hills, and this was not a safe journey. In fact, historians often call this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, they called it the bloody way. <laughs> Because it was a place where robbers and bandits would often attack and steal, and it was not a safe journey to take. And so Jesus isn't telling them some story from out in right field. He's telling them a journey that would be very familiar to them. He's telling them a story that maybe even happened. This is the context of a story. And if we look for a minute at the characters in the story, we see the traveler. And the traveler was traveling alone, which some could say was a very silly thing to do. Some would even say he got what he deserved by going on that bloody way by himself. Didn't he know what was coming to him? Next, we have the priest. And the priest, remember, Jesus is saying this to the religious leaders. The religious leaders are the audience here. And so immediately when the priest comes in the story, they can identify with that. Oh, the priest, what's he going to do? And it says the priest sees the man in need and walks by. Not just walks by like, you okay? Okay. No, no, no. Walks by on the other side. Like, ooh, continues on the journey. Next comes a Levite. That may not mean much to you and I, but a Levite was a Jew from the tribe of Levi. And so this would have been an ordinary common Jew, uh, but again, someone that the religious leaders, Jews, could relate to. And he too sees the need and walks by on the other side. Next enters into the story, really the main character, the Samaritan. Now, when you and I hear Samaritan, we think nothing of that. But understand that the Jews and the Samaritans, they did not like each other. This, and, and so when the Samaritan enters the story, all the Jewish leaders begin to listen very intently and get very uncomfortable. Because you see, the battle between the Jews and the Samaritans represented maybe the greatest cultural divide in the New Testament. I mean, they didn't like each other. Their culture was different. The way they worshipped was different. They fought over boundaries. That This is one of the bloodiest examples of a feud, of disagreement in the New Testament between the Jews and the Samaritans. And yet, Jesus obliterates the battle lines by pointing out the Samaritan as someone who was good. Imagine that, imagine that. The enemy, the Samaritan, is the one who is good. There's a lot of reasons why the priest could have passed by. There's a lot of reasons why the Levite, maybe it wasn't convenient, they had somewhere to go. Maybe they thought it was a trick, like they would do this, right? Historically, we know that they would put someone there and then you would go to help them and then they would attack. So maybe they thought, well, this is a trick. They weren't sure Maybe they weren't sure what the implications would be. The priest knew that if he helped them, then he would be ceremonially unclean. And so for seven days, he couldn't go back into the temple. And so he thought, well, if I help him, how's this going to impact me? We don't know the reasons they passed by. All we know is that the Samaritan did not. 
and he came. And in verse 33, it says this, in your copy of Scripture, in my copy of Scripture, it says pity, and that's really not the best word here. When I think of pity, I think of like, you know, the commercial on TV with all the dogs that need to be adopted, and Sarah McLaughlin singing, and like, oh, you know, and that, look, that's your thing, that's awesome, but I think of that, like, oh, or, mm, right? That's what I think of when I think of pity, and that's, that's, that word is just not sufficient enough for what's happening here. And if you understand, again, that the Bible wasn't written in English, it was translated for our benefit, but in the original language, the Greek, that word is really more of compassion. In fact, it's the same word that Jesus uses, or to speak of Jesus, just a few chapters earlier in the book of Luke. He experiences a widow, a widow who had only one son, and he dies. And really, Jesus kind of is walking along and comes upon the funeral procession of the widow's son. And it says in Luke chapter 7 that he was moved with this word, this idea, compassion. And so he was moved to heal. Later in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a really famous story of the prodigal son, the lost son that went out doing his own thing. And when he returned home, his father looks over the horizon and sees his son. And it says that he had compassion on him. That's the same word that it uses to speak of the Samaritan and the compassion he has on this man laying there half dead. The compassion on the screen is really threefold, I think. And there's a lot we can learn from this. This is a sermon in and of itself. The compassion of the Samaritan, first of all, it was beyond convenient. Compassion leads us beyond convenience. That it was not, it was never, it would never be convenient. Well, I, I have a perfect amount of time to help someone that's half dead. Let's go. Like, that's never convenient. It, it cost him time that day. He went back day after day to check on him. That this was an investment. This was not convenient for him. But that's compassion. Also, the compassion of the Samaritan, it, it went beyond sympathy. And I like sympathy. Sympathy is a good thing. I'm glad that we feel that. But sympathy Sympathy says, hmm, that's too bad. Maybe I'll, I'll leave him a bottle of water so that when he wakes up, he'll have something to drink. And I'm going to, that's sympathy. Here's a couple dollars and a, and a note. Good luck. You know, like, I, that's sympathy. But compassion, compassion crosses the street. Compassion gets into the, compassion gets its hands dirty a little bit. And that's, that's what the Samaritan did. He didn't pass by on the other side. He was beyond sympathy. Compassion. But really, I want to spend the rest of our time together talking about the third thing, that the compassion of the Samaritan moved beyond barriers. I want you to understand, I want you to see the barrier that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. It wasn't a physical barrier, but it might as well have been. That we, later in the New Testament, Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. Like constantly in Scripture, we're thrown these examples where Jews and Samaritans did not mix. This is not culturally acceptable. This is not an okay thing. But yet again, we see the Samaritan crossing barriers. Maybe he didn't know. Maybe he didn't know he was a Jew, but it didn't matter because he was moved with compassion and compassion takes no account for barriers. Compassion doesn't stop to say, ooh, should I do this? Should I not? Are they worthy of this? Compassion is just moved to act. I want you to think today, about the boundaries, the barriers that we set up in our own lives. I want you to think about the barriers that might exist in and around you. We don't live maybe in Jesus' day with the Jews and the Samaritans, but I challenge you for a minute, if you think long enough, there are plenty of barriers present in our lives. 
Some of us, uh, we draw lines, we create barriers, and really it begins with fear, right? Because what fear says is, I don't understand, and I'm afraid, I'm afraid of them, they're different than me, they do things different than me, they believe different things than me, and so uh, fear really just says that I'm going to draw the line here, and you stay on your side, I stay on my side, and there's nothing, there's nothing visible that we do, we don't, there's no physical boundary there, but in our hearts and in our minds, we draw a boundary, and what we do here is we just, you stay over there, I'll stay over here, and that will be okay, and we even like kind of justify that. And there's more than just fear, right? Some of us, our boundaries are, are further than that. Some of our boundaries are really about ignorance, if we were honest. Like, we just don't take the time to know their story or understand where they are or understand their journey or understand their pain. And so because in our ignorance, we, we don't do that, we don't stop to understand that, we draw boundaries and we make assumptions and we create this barrier where, okay, well, well, that's them, and I'm here, and you stay on your side of the boundary, I'll stay on my side, and that's how we're going to be. It moves beyond that, though, to, to even prejudice, and that is such a loaded word. That is a word that some of us bristle at, but prejudice literally just means that I prejudge you. Something about you that I see, something about you that I perceive, I look at you and think this about you without ever, and prejudice, what that does in our lives is it just creates barriers, it just draws lines, it just sets up boundaries for us where it may not be something physical you may not be able to see it it may be like a a something that's very beneath the surface but what it does is i've prejudged you i've determined that that you are this way you are one of these people and and i just draw the line there and and it's the barrier it doesn't even end there because some of us we, we draw more barriers and sometimes our barriers are based on hurt like someone that you've actually hurt me you've actually done something wrong to me you've actually And because of that hurt, I feel justified in drawing this boundary. You stay over there. I'm going to stay here. You've hurt me. I got to, and I know we got to have boundaries. I know that, but I draw this barrier where I will not love you. I will not love you. I will not forgive. I will not. It's a barrier that we draw. And it may not be a physical barrier, but in our hearts and in our minds, there is a clear divide there. And this is what happens. This is what happens to us. And, and I'm, not, I'm talking about believers today. I'm talking about people that claim to know Jesus. I'm talking about, because that's who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to the religious people, the people that claim to know and love him. And when the Samaritan broke down the barriers, when that compassion went across barriers, I mean, that was significant because what these barriers do in our lives, what we're really saying is, I will love you if you fit inside my barriers. If you look like me, or if I'm comfortable with you, or you believe what I believe, or if you're similar enough to me, or if you clean yourself up enough to come, or if you vote like I vote, yeah, I said that, I'm sorry. But that's what we do, right? Because we draw these barriers, and we feel justified. We feel like even the Word of God justifies this in our life, that I have to draw the barrier, and if you come, if you come in here, then I will love you. But if you, can't, if you can't come in here, if you can't believe what I believe, and you can't repent of the things that you're doing, and the hurt, the ways that you wrong, if you can't become, then I can't love you. I won't love you. We wouldn't admit that. I don't know that we would have the audacity to say that out loud, but in our hearts, in our minds, that's exactly what we do. We draw the barrier. And Jesus enters into a system where the barriers were real clear. Us 
in them, the religious who have it and everyone else, the clean, the unclean, whatever you want to do. And he enters in and he tears down the barrier. He tears down the boundary. He had a love that crossed across the barriers and came to where we were. He didn't wait for us to have to come to where he was, right? That is who Jesus was. This is our mandate. Man, this, is this hard? Absolutely. Is this painful? Absolutely. Does this require some really deep introspection? Absolutely it does. But this, I believe, is our biblical mandate because some of us, some of us look at this and say, well, whoa, 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 pastor, what about sin now? Now, we can't be tolerating sin. We can't. You're right. You're right. Biblically, we know that. But this is our mandate. This is what we have to know. That our mandate is this, that we must not give in to sin, but we must not give up on love. I'm going to say that again. Some of us have to write it down. Uh, That we must, as believers, we must not give in to sin. You are right. You are right that we live in a world that's hard. You are right that we live in a world that's increasingly dark. You are right that we live in a world where we can't pray in public schools anymore. You are right that we live in a world where sometimes our beliefs feel threatened, where sometimes we feel like we're under attack. But in love today, I want to just ask you the question, so what? So what? Jesus Jesus entered into a system, into a culture, into a world. The entire New Testament is full of people that lived in a world and a culture that was uh, not for the gospel. That was against. They lived in a world that was increasingly dark. They lived in a world that deliberately opposed their worldview. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. So we act surprised sometimes. We act surprised that the world around us doesn't love the same God that we do. We act surprised sometimes that the world around us doesn't have some of the values and things we do. Welcome to the club. This is the gospel. Are are you kidding me? Uh, I mean, men and women that gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because they lived in a world that opposed Jesus. They live in a world that opposed their... And sometimes we get so afraid and sometimes this culture war around us that the only way we know how to function is that we draw the lines and then we sit comfortably in our boundaries and we come to church and we worship and we might, get, we might look, but no, I can't do that. I gotta, I gotta only be with my people. And Jesus came to oppose that. He came to that. That is hypocrisy. That's religion. And Jesus came, not just, his goal wasn't to make you uncomfortable, but to challenge complacency and to let us know that the love of God crosses barriers. The love of God tears down boundaries. The love of God does not build walls up, but tears them down. We may not, we may not give in to sin, but oh man, as believers, we cannot give up on love. Aren't you glad Aren't you glad that the God we serve did not give up on you? Aren't you glad that the boundary lines weren't drawn and you were over there? You were dead in your sin. You were a hypocrite. You were a loser. Whatever it was, man, you were not deserving of anything. But Jesus came down from heaven and he didn't set the, he didn't say, come over here and be like me first. If you could just clean yourself up. No, 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 no. He came running, the scripture says. If there were 99 and one lost, he would come running for you. He came across the boundary lines to find you because that's the love of our God and that's the love and compassion of our Savior that we read about today. He crossed the line. He came across the boundary, the barrier. There was no barrier too great for you that he didn't cross it for your sake, for your soul. So why? Why? Should we not do the same? 
Why can't we? I mean, Jesus did that for us. Why? Why would we feel permission to do anything less for other people? This morning, we must not give in to sin, but we must not give up on love, even those that we disagree with, even those that we would say are enemies, even those that would want to do harm to us, even those that have hurt us, the bounty, yeah, yeah, even them, we are called to love. Pastor Margaret last week in our service shared a really great challenge is that every time we meet someone, every time we encounter them, what if our first thought was, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm talking about like, this is creepy, right? Strangers, like don't say it out loud. That would be really creepy, you know? But like, I'm talking about like, you're walking place, you're driving in traffic and you see, and what if that person that goes across the crosswalk in front of you, you just think, I love you. I love you. What if that was, what if love got the first word instead of the last word? What if it got the first and last word in our lives? I want to challenge you this morning to remember these words from Luke 10, 36 and 37. If you still have it open, this is our challenge together today. Jesus said, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the one in need? And the religious leader answers correctly. He says, the one who had mercy. Go and do likewise. Mercy, that's a great word. Mercy implies that there is an offense that there is an offense that we are justified in holding against them. Think about that. that. That mercy implies that the law has been broken and there is a just penalty that is due, but mercy implies that though there is a penalty, that penalty is forgiven. Think about that. God shows us mercy in that we are dead in our sin and we deserve death, but instead, even though our punishment justifiably so is death, he gives us mercy. It's beautiful. And Jesus says, in this idea of the barriers that we create, they may be, maybe your barriers are there justifiably so. Maybe you can justify the barriers. Maybe you could point to the time when they hurt. Maybe you could point to the time where you felt threatened. Maybe you could point to the time when, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. You are called to be people of mercy. You are called to be people, though you could hold the wrongs against them, you do not, and you cross the barriers, and you are called to be people of great compassion who show mercy. Jeff and Haley are going to come and help us conclude the service, and as they do, I just have four questions for us as we continue in this series. Can I be honest with you that this is not the most comfortable message to preach? The uncomfortable Jesus. <laughs> but who are we today as a church? Are we a church that makes the gospel comfortable? Are we, are we a church that reads the parts of scripture that make us feel good and throw the other? Or are we going to be a church that says, no, 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 no. <laughs> I want to do what Jesus did. I want to live how Jesus lived. I want to do what he calls us to do. I want to build my life on the foundation of this word because that is what a dying world around us needs. The coworkers tomorrow when you go to work, they don't need the gospel that draws barriers. They don't need a gospel that says, come be like me and then I'll love you. The campuses, the students there, man, they're broken and lost, and they don't need one more example of a believer that says, come act like me, believe like me, think like me, and then I'll love you. The world around us desperately needs to see believers who listen to the word of God, who follow Jesus' example, not to be complacent, not to hunker down in our safe borders, but say, no, 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 the love of God compels me to step outside of my comfort zone, to step outside of the barriers, the places that I've drawn. And so the question I have for you and for me 
as we journey in these weeks ahead, the first question is this, what makes you uncomfortable? Our first instinct is to run from that, but I'm challenging us in the weeks ahead. Man, let's lean into that. Who is it that makes you uncomfortable? Who is it that makes you uncomfortable? Who is the person, those people, that group, whatever it is that makes you the most uncomfortable, maybe over these next week, maybe the next time you think of that person or those people, maybe your first thought can be, I love you. I love you. What about this? Who is the last person you would want to welcome? As a church this year, I said that this is our word for the whole year is this idea of welcome, asking God, welcoming his presence into our lives and learning what it is, the heart of the father of welcome. And so who is the last person that you would want to welcome today? (laughs) Who makes you angry? Who makes you angry? Uh, Lastly, who do you think deserves whatever pain they get, the boundary line of hurt, right? You've drawn that because justifiably so. They've hurt you and they've wronged you and now the barrier is there and you will not love them, but today maybe the Holy Spirit would ask you in a new way to remove the boundary lines, the barriers. Aren't you glad God did that for us? Aren't you glad that you were loved today in spite of who you were? In spite of what you did, in spite of, you were loved anyway. Isn't that what we're called to do? Lord, we need your help today. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you come and add life and breathe breath into dry bones and help raise us up to be the men and the women of God that you have called us to be for such a time as this, Lord. We don't want a gospel that's comfortable. We don't want a gospel that's convenient. We want to live the call according to how you call us to live today. And we believe that the world around us desperately needs the love of you to break down barriers, to be willing to go across the boundary lines and say, man, I love you. I love you. Help us now, Lord. We're listening for your voice. We need your wisdom. Thanks again for listening here today. If you enjoyed it and want to engage more, you can subscribe to this podcast through our website, abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. Or if you're a Spotify user like me, you can search for us there and subscribe directly there as well. If you happen to be anywhere in the Shenandoah Valley here in Virginia, we'd love for you to join us at 1871 Boyers Road, Rockingham, Virginia. We meet each Sunday morning at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and then again at 11.45 a.m. in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every Monday night at 6 p.m. Thanks again, and we look forward to meeting you soon.